0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Crouch. This is Policy Talks brought to you each month by the Williamson Inc., uh, your Chamber of Commerce here in Williamson County. We uh, are happy to have a bright-eyed audience here at Columbia State on this uh, beautiful, awesome campus that Dr. Darrell Lampley welcomes us to each month. Uh, Dr. Lampley, we appreciate your uh, welcoming us here. Uh, The new building is going up uh, nicely down on the other end of the campus. Uh, It looks like Columbia State's doing well these days. Uh, We've got a live audience uh, on uh, WCTV this morning, as well as on WAKM radio, and we're happy to have you all with us this morning. Our guests today uh, are, are several members of our Williamson County legislative delegation. Our state senator, Jack Johnson, representing the 27th district, which is most of Williamson County now. He had to give away some of it uh, during the last redistricting. But uh, he is also our Tennessee Senate Majority Leader. We're proud of that. And uh, glad to have you with us, Jack. Uh, in order of seniority here, uh, Representative Sam Whitson from the 65th District uh, here in Franklin. Uh, pardon me? And a G <laughs> And age, he says. Uh, we also have... Todd Warner, our representative from the 92nd District down in uh, Spring Hill in uh, Marshall County. And uh, Jake McCallmon is uh, coming, we think, and uh, we're looking for him. He's uh, representing the 63rd District. Uh, Gino Bulzo is not going to be able to join us. And Senator Joy Hensley, who represents uh, part of Spring Hill, uh, also is not able to be here this morning. But uh, I think we've got enough uh, uh, Patients up here to uh, uh, give the doctor what he needs here. Uh, First of all, let's go back just after our last meeting. We had uh, the governor's state of the state address, and he covered a lot of territory. Um, uh, Some was a little surprising to me. Uh, Jack Johnson is going to be a a wealth of knowledge about that because he has to carry all the bills that the governor, governor wants passed in the Senate. But uh, in, uh, there's, uh, I've kind of got it broken up. He, try, he broke it into, oh, about six different categories. But uh, cutting taxes and saving money for uh, the Tennesseans, uh, expanding the grocery tax holiday from one month to three months. Why don't you just go ahead and do it the whole year,
1: Jack? Uh, <laughs> well, good morning, Dave. It's, it's good to be with you. Uh, no, that would be a horrible thing to do. Uh, to do away with the the grocery tax and here's why Uh, our grocery tax is the most stable source of revenue we have in the state Uh, because regardless of economic circumstances people buy groceries and another important aspect of the grocery tax in my view is that everybody pays it is a very broad based tax and if you look we always draw comparisons between us and our federal government and I like the way Tennessee does things a whole lot better than our federal government, that is for sure. And at, a, at the federal level, you have fewer and fewer, fewer people paying taxes. There's a whole lot more people riding in the wagon than are pulling the wagon. One of the reasons our state is in the fiscal condition that it is is because we have a broad base tax. And we get two thirds of our revenue from sales tax, and, and that sales tax on all items, grocery, and TVs, and cars, and washing machines, whatever else. But it's very important to me that we maintain the integrity of that food tax because it is the most broad tax that we have in the state. Um, I'm fine with a grocery tax holiday, but that's a one-time event because we're in a fiscal condition where we can do it. Um, But I would not in any way support any effort to permanently get rid of that grocery tax.
0: Right. Uh, Tennessee Works Act, he mentioned $150 million tax relief for small businesses. Not much detail in his speech. What is that, and who gets it, and who administrates it? Well, it,
1: it is difficult to, to explain, and anyone who owns a business, I own businesses, and anyone who owns a small business knows that you pay a grocery seats tax, you have franchise excise taxes that, that, that are applied to businesses at, at a high level, You know, in the last decade or so, we, well, every year that Republicans have controlled the state, and I always like to remind folks that Republicans have controlled the state for 12 years, it it was 2011, it was the first time since the Civil War that that Republicans controlled the governor's office of the state senate and the state house. So it's been just over a decade that Republicans have controlled the state. During that time, every single year, we have cut taxes. The bulk of our tax reform has been targeted at individuals. You know, we eliminated the inheritance tax. We eliminated the gift tax. We eliminated the hall income tax. We're in the process of eliminating the professional privilege tax. Uh, We've been discussing in recent years, and I'm very proud that the governor has decided to tackle this this year, that we need to shift our focus more to some of our business taxes. We are the least taxed state in the nation. Um, but on, if you silo, if you look specifically at, at taxes that we assess on businesses and corporations, we don't rank quite as well. We're about midway in, out of the 50 states. Well, we want to be more competitive than that. So we're doing things like raising the, the dollar threshold, and I'm sorry, I'd have to look at my, my notes to, to to give you specific numbers, but we're going to raise the exemption level for businesses. So... If, if, if your business makes less than a certain amount, then you don't have to pay anything at all. As a small business owner, and if, I know there are small business owners out there, I've had small businesses that I've run, it costs me more to pay my accountant to prepare the return than what I actually paid to the state. And so that's ridiculous. And so, you know, if you've got a, a tax that's generating you know, it's $80, $90 in tax, right. and you've got to pay your accountant $300 to prepare the return, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we're going to exempt a lot of those smaller businesses uh, that that we want to encourage and, and and help, and then we're going to change some of the formulas. It does get very complicated, and I'm still in the process of wrapping my mind around it as well. But um, but let's just say that we are going to provide some fairly significant tax relief to the business side.
0: Right, another 250 million to the rainy day fund. Uh, that's pretty easy to understand and. Uh, we could spend some time on that, but let's move on to several other topics I'm sure everybody wants to uh, hear about. Uh, transportation, uh, of course, the choice lanes are, are what we heard the most about, and I want to talk about those in a minute, but $3 billion in additional funding. Um, where does that go? Who gets it, uh, gentlemen? Well,
2: uh- Good morning, Dave, and great to be here and see all our friends this morning. Um, yes, the infrastructure, infrastructure, I have a code, so bear with me, Infrastructure Modernization Act, the governor has landed that for us. And let's be clear right up front, and I want people to understand this this is not toll lanes as a lot of people have promoted. This is what we call choice lanes. The roads that we drive on today to Nashville will not change, they will not become choice lanes. Choice lanes will be newly constructed. Uh, Lanes built under a public private partnership to reduce congestion, but also, more importantly, to generate revenue to improve our state highway systems across the entire state. We are driving on 1970 interstates with a 2023 population. Our lane miles in Tennessee have really not changed in the past 11 years. We have about 200,000 miles of lane miles in Tennessee, but think how our population has grown from about 4 million to 7 million, and the number of miles driven has increased. The revenue coming in to build roads is not going up. The IMPROVE Act uh, budgeted, I believe, 972 projects, and it was, we estimated to cost around $11 billion to complete those. We did it today because of inflation and supply chain issues. and other uh, right-of-way costs, it would take $16 billion. We need $26 billion to fix our roads in Tennessee, to reduce congestion, to improve our uh, antiquated interstate highway system that I drove on when I was 16 in 1970 that has not changed. But think about the population change in the number of trucks. We get about $1.2 billion a year for TDOT. A lot of that goes to fix these potholes we were talking about. But they only get about 500 million to do uh new construction well the problem with that is you take a like the project where they're going to increase the the lanes uh from 2 to 3 between Nashville and Kentucky that's going to be the biggest project it will it could eat up a lot of that 500 million
0: so is the is the 3 billion going to be added to the 500 million for new roads or well, 3 billion
2: something or is it going to take
0: a billion to fix the potholes yes well, <laughs> It,
2: it, it can be, but the, you know, you talk about over a period of time, and some of it can be used for the choice lane projects to help jumpstart it, and also it can be used for improve uh, act projects to get those going. They're just keeping up with the, re, with the cost of maintaining our roads and building the roads. It's, uh, it's, the current system is not, not going to do it. Yep. Efficiency of cars are getting better. The gas tax is not going to happen. And uh, it's just the Federal Highway Trust Fund is broke. They're using borrowed money to support that because gas taxes have not gone up. You know, a lot of people forget in 1982, Ronald Reagan said the gas tax is the most fair user fee and most easy to collect tax. But there's not the will to do that. Yeah.
0: Todd Warner, you got anything to add to that? Uh,
3: No, not really. Uh I'm not really sold on the choice lanes yet. Uh, I don't know, I may get there, but you know, I'm down in uh, Marshall County, I'm getting a lot of kickback against it, you know. So, uh, not there, but it sounds like a good idea.
1: Okay. Jack, do you have the votes to pass it? Yes, we do. Um, And we'll have it in committee uh, next week. And what what I, I would like people to know and understand is we have a big, big problem. Okay, that, that we, we need to start the conversation there. Sam did a really good job of, of, of outland, but I just want to echo that and reinforce it. We've all driven through big cities with horrible traffic. Nashville, Middle Tennessee, where we live, is not going to stop growing. People are going to continue to move here because, quite frankly, we're a wonderful place to live, and companies are going to continue to move here. People are going to continue to move here. I think I gave you these numbers last month. Just remember this. Sam gave you the $500 million number. That's what we have to build new capacity, whether that be an, a new interstate interchange or whether that's adding a turn lane in a small community down in Marshall County on, on a state road. If you add up all the projects we need to get done right now that have been identified, it's $26 billion. Now. We could be like the federal government. We could be like other states and just kind of ignore that problem and kick that can down the road, or we can do something big and bold, and the governor says, I'm not going to kick this to the next governor, and he should be applauded for that. Now, there's going to be a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth over this or that, but I will tell you this. The most effective way to deliver a government service is to have the individual who's using that service pay for it, and I would tell you as a staunch fiscal conservative, anytime we can deliver a government service and have the person who's utilizing that service pay for it, that's the way we should do it. And there is no more pure way to do that than by using choice lanes because we don't put a dime of tax. We might put a little bit, but we put very little taxpayer dollars in there. We leverage the private sector. Let them build those lanes and that excess capacity. Then they can monetize it. You don't want to drive on it and don't want to pay it. You don't have to but there's a lot of people who will. So why should we make someone in rural West Tennessee pay for added capacity in Middle Tennessee? You got a big government taxpayer-funded solution, which I'm always gonna try to avoid, or you can do it by making the people who utilize the service pay for it. So it's, it's important, and if, if you don't recognize the problem and how severe it is, then uh, you're not paying attention. Sam's got an- and Another important
2: part of that is how we deliver products too, that how we're going to c- construct projects. Right now, we have a traditional design bid bill process. That could take 15 years, 11 years of planning, four years of construction. Under this, we'll look at innovative ways to uh, complete construction projects in a much timely fashion. You take, for instance, the 440 project up in Nashville. It was done under this new innovative concept of design-build. Normally, it would have taken seventeen hundred days to do that. They did it in under seven—excuse oh, me, seven hundred days. The eight bridges that they replaced in eight weekends in Nashville was done under one of these eight innovative projects. So we're going to increase the number of those projects to get the timeline down from fourteen years to five years when the projects identified to be needed.
0: And you're going to be sure I-65 South between here and Columbia is widened.
2: Um, well, I can tell you this. The new interchange at Buckner Road is going to be done this summer, okay? That, and it's, we see that. And, uh, but and on the House side, we, uh, the, the governor's plan came uh, into our transportation subcommittee. We moved it out. But we wanted to slow it down so our contractors, our road builders, can take a look at the amendment and get their input. because The, the state does not, TDOT does not build roads. Contractors build roads. So we needed their input
0: we got a lot of territory to cover, gentlemen, so I hate to move on, but uh, we need to. Well, believe me, for me, I know you do, but uh, the, the, uh, uh, just skip over a few things here. On higher ed, uh, Tennessee College of Applied Technology, they're going to replace seven facilities and add six new ones. Uh, that sounds like a pretty uh, big uh, deal there. Uh, K-12, an additional $350 million, uh, and uh good part of that going to increase the starting pay for teachers. Homeland Security, adding Homeland Security agents in all 95 counties, uh, we could spend time on all these things, and I hate to skip over them, but another 100 new state troopers this year, again, on top of the 100 we added last year. Um, I mean, we got plenty up and down I-65 now. Uh, <laughs> we do. <laughs> okay. And uh, then 10-care expansion for pregnant moms uh, that are on 10-care, uh, including two years supply of diapers. Uh, that's getting kind of in, into the nitty-gritty details, but uh, then uh, the last element of his uh, speech um 100 million dollars for crisis pregnancy centers what are those well uh, it's a lot of money
1: yeah crisis pregnancy centers are uh, help women who are s- struggling with an unexpected pregnancy or uh, it could be a, a medically related it could be uh, an unwanted pregnancy um uh, everyone's familiar with the dobbs decision that came down uh Last summer, uh, we had a trigger law that is, that is in place. Um, and we talk abortion can be a very polarizing issue. I recognize that. But Tennessee is a very pro-life state, overwhelmingly. And we are a very pro-life legislature. And we have one of the, uh, I, I, I say I want Tennessee to be the safest place in the world to be an unborn baby. And I think that we are. But with that comes a very real responsibility to take care of those moms. And those babies. Being pro-life doesn't mean you just protect the baby in the womb. That's what everybody yells and screams about, regardless of your position on abortion. But if you're truly pro-life, you you, want to take care of the mom and the baby. And whether the mom chooses to keep that baby and raise it herself or put it up for adoption. And so when a woman finds herself in that situation, we want to make sure that the services are there, health care, support, that system is in place to take care of that mom so that she can take care of the baby or, you know, put the baby up for, for adoption. I'd like to go back one, real quick because you mentioned about care. and remind, we talked about this in years past, but two years ago, I think it was, we passed legislation. It got referred to as the block grant, which it really wasn't a block grant. But Tennessee has one of the best managed Medicaid programs in the nation, if not the best managed. We call it TINCARE here. It's a Medicaid waiver program. And we do a really, really good job of, of managing that. I, I say we. The, the folks at TenCare do a really, really good job, and they are accountable to us. And so it's a, it's a wonderful partnership. Several years ago, we applied with the Trump administration at the time for what we refer to as a shared savings plan because basically we could draw down more money from the federal government if we were willing to put more state tax dollars in And we don't because we have a very well-managed plan. And so we went to the administration and said, this is not really fair because we're returning some of this money. We should get to split some of that savings without having to put matching state dollars in. And the Trump administration agreed. Now, when the Biden administration came in, we were a little concerned would they honor that agreement that we had negotiated with uh, the, the Trump administration. To the Biden administration's credit, they have. We are now going to draw down in this coming fiscal year $300 million additional money, additional dollars uh, from the federal government that we can use in our TIN Care program, which is great. And so that's the governor was talking about, about some of those things. Um, I will say I love the governor. I'm not a big fan of the diaper uh, proposal. We, we will see where that where that goes. I, I do support the governor and, and his heart his intention about making sure that we're helping uh, moms uh, the children in, in the state of Tennessee. So that's that's where that 300 million uh, number comes from. It's because we've done such a good job managing our ten care program. Right.
0: Well the. I'll echo um, in the cattle industry, we've learned if we take care of those uh, babies in the womb, uh, they'll come out a lot healthier than if you don't take care of them. So um, as long as that uh, program, it looks like it's a little bit uh, difficult to, to describe right now. So hopefully those details will, will come out and take care of it. Uh, anybody want to add anything to that uh, discussion?
3: I mean, Jack nailed it.
0: All right, I want to spend a few minutes uh, and just give you all your um, um, your head here, and uh, in reverse order of seniority. That means Todd, you're first. The uh, uh, we need did Jake come in? I don't think so. But uh, in reverse order. Uh, I'd like to talk about the committees you're on, the uh, bills that you're carrying, and so forth. Uh, Todd, is, uh, according to the state website, you're now sponsoring 13 bills. Uh, I think that's the limit in the House, isn't it, or 15? 15. 15. Uh, you're co sponsor on 14, uh, and I just glanced through them. Uh, one that caught my attention is raising the speed limit on looks like interstates from 70 to 75 miles an hour. Is that... Uh,
3: uh, yes, sir. I,
0: don't give me that blank look
3: now. <laughs> oh no, that's that's my bill. Yeah, it would give Tdot the opportunity where they, you know, chose to see fit where it would be safe if we could raise that to 75 mile an hour. As you know, when you come into Nashville or coming through Franklin, if you ain't running 90, you're getting passed. You know, you, you know, you're gonna get run over. So, you know, 5 mile an hour, I don't see would hurt hurt anything at all.
0: Right. Well, I I can I can. I'll, I'll be all right with that. The, uh, now, also, utility vehicles on state highways. Uh, now, you're just legalizing something that's already going on quite a bit, I think.
3: But Yeah, yeah it's uh, true. Uh, of course, I carried this bill last time when I really did represent a rural part of, uh, of the state. Uh, but what this bill would do, uh, side-by-sides, razors, uh, they have roll cages, they have blinkers, they got mirrors, Uh, They're much safer than a bicycle that we allow on the state road now. They're much safer than a motorcycle that we allow on state highways. And uh, what this bill would do, if it's a state highway, it's got to be two lanes, 45 mile an hour or less. It would let these side-by-sides become legal to to drive on the road.
0: Okay. Now, you're on the Education Administration Committee, Education Instruction Committee, Education Instruction Subcommittee, and the K through 12 subcommittee. So you're our education
3: guy. Uh, that's what the speaker thinks. So I don't know, but we're learning a lot there. It's very interesting stuff that goes on in education. So
0: give me a couple of your priorities uh, for this term that you would like to see happen.
3: Well, I don't have any education bills. Of course, you know we didn't when we were working on bills. We didn't. We don't get to committee assignments till until right before we get ready to start. So I didn't have any education bills. But uh, my main thing would be to make sure we take care of our teachers in the state. In the state, I applaud the governor for the uh, for the raise he's given the teachers. Uh, I'm a firm believer that our teachers do not make enough money. Uh, the third grade retention it's been a big thing. I don't want to see us do away with it, but I would I would definitely be open for some tweaks to it. You know,
0: so explain that uh,
3: to the audience. So, so right now, only third grade. Uh, third grade. Uh, is retention is that the fair word to use? That's what it's, that's what it's been it's been given the name anyway. Uh, if a child don't does not pass the uh, T-cap, uh, TCAP test in the third grade, or it does not meet a certain percentage of it, 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 the child you know has to go to to summer school, go to tutoring. Uh, there's nine different things I can't name them all, but that child can do to move to the fourth grade. But if it if Parents choose not to, d- to d- take any of those options. The child would re- would return and repeat the third grade again.
0: So, going to tweak those bills a little bit and
3: uh, make them. A yeah, maybe tweak. You know, right now it's it's based on one test. And the argument we're hearing is, you you this child may may be doing other things good good, but this one test, he may may have a hard day or a bad day that day. And you know, so I'm open to maybe you know taking the universal screeners or something to measure that child's, you know, reading ability, other than just that one test on that one day. Got gotcha. you.
0: Representative Sam Woodson. Colonel? Yes, sir. The uh, member of the House Health Committee, House Transportation Committee, House Transportation Subcommittee. Um, if and Watching these things over the years, I think the subcommittee's probably the, the most powerful of the committees, aren't they, uh, as far as controlling what actually comes out of the,
2: yeah, the two process. bills
0: he's sponsoring has got to come through my subcommittee, yes. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, you're carrying uh fourteen bills. Uh you're co-sponsoring eighteen. So you're you're busy man. Uh the I think the speaker gave you a few uh along the lines of ethics and campaign finance to uh to carry those, what, how do those look, and what, uh, what's going on with? Them?
2: Well, um, also the other committees. I'm on transportation full, transportation sub, health full, um, finance ways and means full and sub, and we're that's where we're really taking a lot of time because we're having budget hearings. Uh, and then I'm on pension and insurance council with our good senator here that takes our Thursday mornings and Friday or Monday afternoons. And uh, like I said, ethics full and sub
0: tell Tell them to update your uh okay. profile on the I website
2: he ran out of room so I, but anyway uh it keeps busy yeah uh the the bills I have that I've sponsored this year um it's has to do with ethics uh, that's um at the request of the Registry of Finance, uh, Election Finance, and the Bureau of Ethics uh, for the state, they had three bills. They asked uh, Dr. Briggs over in the Senate side for us to carry. Uh, one of them, uh, they wanted to try to define some terms better, and it kind of got misunderstood out there. And uh, Briggs and I recognized early on if you came. As, Briggs is also a retired colonel, and we figured if you know, we couldn't understand it. (laughs) It it was going to be pretty tough to to explain. So we asked them to uh, take another look at that. And two of them will be on the House floor next week. And it's to better reporting some of the issues that we have dealt with over the years on transfer of federal funds to state campaigns or vice versa. We've got to make sure we clarify that. And also notification of folks when they need to appear before the board. And, And some based on court cases that, It has been rulings by the uh, Commission, but now we are going to codify that so it will be a law so people will follow. But uh, I carry bills for the county and for the city's private acts. They do not count against our limit of 15 bills. Uh, I think we have a charter uh, bill coming from the city of Franklin uh, that we are going to work on to help them. Uh, But it is a very busy schedule, Uh, like from Monday, 8 o'clock, till Thursday uh, afternoon and uh, and um,
0: it's, it's enjoyable yep. and uh, one of the other bills that looked interesting to me um, regarding education your uh, this bill requires the office controller comptroller to review annually the language arts textbooks and instructional materials for use by every lea. Uh, that is what we call a caption bill. Uh, that that sounds, sounds like a big job for the controller.
2: Well, it's, it's a caption bill to make sure we capture a, a portion of the Tennessee Code. So I'm looking at some legislation with some groups that we may bring later on uh, that we can fit into that part of the code. It probably will not do what that says. But so a lot of times as you're developing legislation, you'll put it in a caption. And then you can expand that later on with an amendment.
0: Okay, so this is another example of uh, how you make sausage. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, gotcha. Uh, spe- speaking it. of sausage, uh, uh, give Representative Warner a, a, a heads up here, uh high five for bringing sausage and biscuits and chicken biscuits this morning. Uh,
1: Everybody gets one.
0: Yeah, if you didn't get one coming in, take one with you when you go, because uh, they look good. Uh the folks from the Lion Leadership Group bring coffee, and uh, he had them bring us biscuits this morning. So we'll leave uh, with our heads full and our stomachs full, hopefully, as well. Senator Johnson, or Sam, did that cover the, the, the things you're prioritizing this year? Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Senator Johnson, um, calendar committee, vice chair. Uh, member of the Commerce and Labor, member of the Finance Ways and Means, which is the big committee, the Senate Ethics Committee, um, and this says you're carrying 83 bills. Just glancing through them, that didn't look like any of the governor's bills.
1: So, well, which I hope that includes the governor's bills. I think it. I think it does. Okay, I, I, I didn't. Sure. There's a bunch.
0: I couldn't connect the dots on them, but uh,
1: the. Uh,
0: uh, what uh, specifically, personally, would you like to to see happen? I know there's uh, a lot of talk about one you were carrying uh, regarding transgender. Uh, I don't know the all the terminology there, but uh, tell us about the thought behind that and what your
1: what your objectives sure. are. So, yeah, I, there there are a couple of bills that um, I was carrying on the Senate side that I passed a couple of weeks ago. The House passed these yesterday. Yesterday morning, uh, one dealt with an issue that arose back last fall. You probably saw it in the news. Uh, we found out that we knew it was happening in, in other parts of the country, but we found out even right here in Tennessee that they were, people were performing irreversible surgical procedures on kids based on gender dysphoria is, is I think the term or gender incongruence. Which is a real condition that 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 people have, but you have kids that might be going through a difficult time. We all through went we all went through puberty. We all went through adolescence, and that can be a difficult time. Mm -hmm. Um, And for some kids, it's more difficult than others, and they may struggle. They may struggle with their 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 body and how their body is developing, and they may think that they're. They were born with the wrong sex. Um, Well, there's a very high probability with, with many of these kids that they will outgrow that. Some won't, but there's a good possibility that some of these kids will. So why in the world would we do something that cannot be undone to a child, surgically or medicinally? And so many states, other countries, even that bastion of conservatism Finland, and Sweden, who had done these types of pr- procedures for even longer than they had been done in the United States, has realized that we shouldn't be doing this on a kid. You shouldn't be doing it on a child who's not fully developed. Their, their brain hasn't developed. They haven't reached any level of maturity. And so the bill just simply says, you're not going to, we're, we're outlawing these types of procedures on, on minors. When you turn 18 and you get to your 18th birthday and you wish to go have your body modified or altered or begin taking medication that will modify your body, then, then you, you can do so. But we're not going to do it with kids. The other bill, the one that's probably been the most <laughs> misrepresented out there, just simply says you can't do anything that's sexually graphic in front of a kid uh, in a public space, in a public park, or in a, a, a private venue that kids where kids might be present. Uh, That's all it, it, it does. It's got, it's been dubbed the drag show bill. Well, I went all the way through committee and on the floor and I never uttered the words drag or show presenting this bill. It has nothing to do with drag shows. It has to do with anyone who would want to do graphically sexual oriented entertainment in front of kids. That's it. Our law was unclear. And it needed to be rectified because there were people and groups out there that, for whatever reason, felt like it was appropriate to come into a room like this full of kids and simulate sex acts. And we're not going to have that in Tennessee. So those are those two bills. They both passed. They're on the way to the governor. I expect you'll sign them. And let's move on.
0: In our audience this morning, we have someone who is probably more familiar with adolescence and uh, the challenges of... Uh, raising kids and and so forth. Sharon Guffey's our juvenile court judge in Williamson County. And uh, tell us, you see a lot of adolescents, most of which the ones you see are having problems of one kind or another. And what are your thoughts about how to, are there things that we need to be doing for those adolescents from the state uh, level that, need to be done, or is this overreach, or what do you think?
4: Morning, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) There might be some other things that I want to talk about first, but um, I'm happy to, to just comment on what we do. What we do with children is make sure that they're emotionally and physically healthy, and my agenda might not be exactly like Senator Johnson's, or our legislature in that I'm gonna take care of any child no matter what they've got going on, uh, what they're struggling with, I'm gonna make sure that 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 child and that family is is getting everything that they need from a service perspective, from interventions through the court that don't necessarily involve um, taking a side as to what we should be doing uh, philosophically. Uh, I'm just gonna take care of that child. Because there are uh, not just gender identification issues, there are a lot of emotional issues that our young people are going through that that we're going to take care of.
0: So if you were going to draw a line in the sand on what age it's okay for a kid to start making those kind of decisions? Thankfully,
4: I don't have to do that. (laughs) I'll leave that to smarter people than me.
0: Maybe a case-by-case basis. Maybe. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, when I see a, a resource like that on a subject that we're talking about, I can't, can't pass it up, and uh, we appreciate you being here, Sharon. Sure.
1: Well, I, 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 I can't let this opportunity go by because Judge Guffey, I, I think, could probably offer a tremendous amount of insight on something else that is, is a big, large priority of ours at the state level, and the governor has prioritized, and that's our DCS system. And, and how we are delivering services to kids and, and, and foster children and things of, of that nature. Um, there's been a lot of that in the news, so very grateful for what Judge Guffey uh, does here at the local level. I, I think it's safe to say we have not been a good partner in that in many respects in, in recent years. And The governor has proposed and there is broad support to do that work better for those children that are in state custody, um, uh, or or maybe they're not in state custody, but they're close to being in state custody, and making sure that we're delivering those services to, to, to those kids. So uh, money is not always the answer, but we are uh, throwing a lot more money at that to make sure that the caseworkers that Judge Govey and her colleagues all across the state have to work with are, are being paid. It's very difficult work. It's probably, if not the hardest job in the state. I mean, it's, it's certainly very close to being one of the hardest jobs in the state. When you're dealing with children that have to be removed from their homes, so very, very important work that's going on there. So,
2: yeah. I was going to compliment Judge guffey She uh, uh, chaired a meeting and had the new DCS commissioner come down to and County and heard firsthand from uh, stakeholders in this, and she's energized the discussion on that. Uh, she closely followed the budget hearings and where we're going on that, and has made great recommendations. How? we fix a problem that just seems to grow bigger every year.
5: Hmm.
0: Jack, one other uh, item that's been in the news, uh, quite frankly, hadn't been talked about as much as I would have expected to be, but uh, Senator, uh, our Lieutenant Governor, been in the hospital, uh, emergency surgery, I think, put in a pacemaker. uh, And, I don't know about the succession plan. If he were to not be able to serve, how does that work, and uh, where do you stand in that process?
1: Well, first of all, thankfully, um, you're right, uh, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally, who is amazing. Um, he is such an incredible resource for us because he's, he's been up there for a long time. I, I tell people he's forgotten more about state government than most of us will ever know, as the old saying goes. Uh, but uh, he, um, he did have a bit of a heart issue, um, and went to Vanderbilt, got a pacemaker, and, and he is back. Uh, he was back in just a few days, and he is doing great. says he feels great, and uh, those of us who've been around him quite a bit, we can tell that he's gotten a little extra pep in his step. Um, he shared this publicly, so I'm not violating any confidence here, but his heart, heart rate was, was, was very low. We have a world-renowned cardiothoracic surgeon, heart surgeon in the Senate, uh, Richard Briggs, and so uh, when uh, the speaker was not, not feeling well, he got very quickly assessed by Dr. Briggs and went to Vanderbilt and he's got a new pacemaker and he is back and he is doing great. So we're, we're all very thankful for that. And as far as I'm concerned, I hope he stays around and serves as our lieutenant governor for a long time.
0: Good, good. The uh, hot topics uh, uh, going around, uh, Speaker Sexton uh, is talking about rejecting federal school funding so that we don't have to follow the rules that the federal government passes down our way. Uh, since you've got the mic in your hand, uh, Mr. Warner, uh, you're the education man. What uh, what do you think about that?
3: I, to be honest, I probably think it's a good idea. I don't know. I'm not sure, and the senator may help me here, how many... Dollars we actually get from the federal government, but 1.8 billion. What are we on uh, track for, Senator, right now this year to have a surplus in the state? Is it what five billion six? So if we could, you know, to me, if we could take some of that surplus, put it in our, over in our education, replace those federal dollars, and not have to to deal with a bunch of the do to the right word maybe garbage that comes down from the federal government the ties us to that some of that money that you got to do. Uh I would definitely be in in favor of it, and I applaud the speaker for uh, for coming up with this idea and and hopefully he's bringing legislation. Okay,
0: Jack, where does the Senate stand on on that proposal?
1: Yeah, I, we've talked about that for for uh, some period of time, and uh, I'm I'm certainly supportive of, of looking at it. It, it is a, a Fairly significant amount of money, and I think what Speaker Sexton has laid out is makes a lot of sense. Is that it's probably something that you don't do, you don't eat the apple in one bite. You probably do it over time. You know, as far as I'm concerned, there shouldn't be a federal Department of Education. It was created under the Carter administration. The federal government has absolutely no constitutional role um, in, in the delivery of public education. So they should do away with the U.S. Department of Education and get out of that business. Um, They, like the federal government does in so many instances, that's how they try to control us or or get us to do things. It's about waving money in our face and saying, you do this and you get the money. If you don't, you're not going to get the money. Well, here's the problem with that. It's not their money. It's our money. They are taxing that money from Tennesseans. They are assessing Tennesseans for that. So... um, and, and I, I want to digress a little bit. We saw a tremendous rollback of these federal mandates and and coercion from the federal government under the Trump administration because uh, I think there was an acknowledgment there in his administration that the federal government shouldn't be micromanaging some of these things. And so they rolled that back fairly considerably in, in a number of areas. I talked about care. That is a perfect example of where, where – if you're going to have us deliver Medicaid services in the state of Tennessee, then let us do it in the manner that we deem best. We don't need bureaucrats in Washington telling us how to take care of kids in Tennessee. We've got, you know, not all the smart people in the world aren't in Washington. I got news for you. Uh, there are smart people in states as well, so I, I get a little passionate about state sovereignty and the 10th Amendment, so you've, you've, got, you've hit a hot button with me here. So this is, this is an area where I think we look at it, but, but just recognize, I said I'm supportive and I think we ought to do it, but that $1.8 billion that we're getting from the federal government that's helping pay for education in Tennessee, that's your money, or it's your grandkids' money because we borrowed it from China, and your grandkids and your great-grandkids are going to have to pay it back. So when, when you say, just say no to the federal government and stop taking their money, understand that means your money is going to go to California or New York. So again, I'm supportive. I want to, but I, I see some of our representatives from our federal delegation, and I'm very grateful for the work that they're doing from Congress Mark Green's office, Marsha Blackburn, others that are fighting that fight for us up there and saying, look, federal government, get your hands out of this and let states make determinations about what's best for them. So I think we're going to do it, and, and I hope that other states will start to do it. And who knows, it might ultimately lead to the federal government doing what they should do, which is doing away with the US Department of Education. Sorry for the long answer. Uh,
0: we've covered that pretty well. Uh, Sam, go ahead and tell us about the Metro Nashville Convention Center money and uh, passing a, a new law that requires the uh, uh, counties, county commissions to be less than 20, member, 20 members or less when Nashville's got 40. Uh, how's that fight going, and who's going to win?
2: Well, thanks for asking me that easy question, okay? I, I was going to talk about cutting billions of dollars from the Department of Education, but I agree with our senator on that. That is, um, you know, I was born and raised in Nashville. I'm a native son of Nashville. My dad was there when Metro government started in 1963. He was a, a purchasing agent. And he ended up becoming the uh, director of water and sewer in Nashville. And so I have still a lot of connections to the city of Nashville. And, you know, this, and we, we supported the city of Nashville with the stadium funding, you know, to improve that uh, and bond issues over the years, we, the special tax incentive areas in the city of Nashville. I think we need to be very careful as we go forward to make sure what we do in Nashville does not have a negative impact on Williamson County because we are connected. One reason we're, we're such a wealthy county in this state uh, is that we're next door to Davidson County. We've got to keep that in mind. What's good for Nashville is good for Williamson County and vice versa. There's a reason we're not like Grundy County or Lake County is our proximity to Nashville. But Nashville, um, uh, things have changed over the years. You know, I think the the snub of not allowing us to compete for the national Republican National Convention uh, had a tremendous economic impact. For instance, the Nashville Airport estimated they would have made five million more dollars if that convention was held here. Now, this is not, and this is just one of many things. Now, I'm again, it's a um, Choice between local control and uh, and then uh, the state coming in and making changes. Um, I actually voted no in subcommittee on reducing the size of the council. Just to make a statement that my concerns with local. Control, what will be the overall impact uh, on the uh, on Williamson County, and also a lot of the people who actually testified against it were old friends of my dad's. So there uh, there's some emotional. Attack. I'm sorry. But I, I, there could be good things that come out of this as we look at how we do the city uh, convention center, the airport. The airport has become more of a regional airport than just the city of Nashville. The city of Nashville actually puts, my understanding, zero money into the metropolitan airport. We, you know, the, the impact of that airport across all of Middle Tennessee and the state, we have to look at that too. But I will say this, I just want to make sure whatever changes we make on the airport does not impact on their very successful business model they have operated on. We don't need little, little hacks to come in and start telling them how to do business. we thought, we pushed back on legislation over the years where uh, we were going to demand free parking for certain groups or that we were going to allow vendors to operate without oversight there. Doug Krulin and his team out there have to make money. They're an authority. They're a mo- they, If they don't make money, they go out of business. Okay. So we're going to look at that carefully as we go forward. But I see both sides of the issue and uh, just look forward to
0: more discussion. Jack, real quick, where does the Senate stand on that uh, that topic?
1: Um, <clears throat> it's overwhelming support. Uh, the Senate will pass the, the bill to reduce the Metro Council.
0: Okay. And the votes in the House, are they there? Okay, so that's going to happen. Okay, since I picked on you uh, earlier, Judge Guffey, and uh, you mentioned you had a few other things that you might like to talk about, uh, <laughs> you now have the floor.
4: now you're going to. Now you're going to. Um, two things. One is, um, thankfully, we've got a lot of good legislation pending for children, and I just want to encourage you to support Senator Hale's initiative for adoption. Um, there's a lot of great um, outcomes that will happen when you decrease the amount of time a child is in foster care and um, allow them permanency, and it, it's, it's uh, uh, really an exciting, um, a lot of pieces of good legislation. Second thing is, um, I'm going to use Senator Johnson's words, the Department of Children's Services is a big problem. And I say that saying that our caseworkers here in Williamson County are wonderful. And there are a lot of good people that work at the Department of Children's Services. I've been some one of their strongest advocates, but the problems I've been working with DCS for 25 years. The problems now are everything that you read in the newspapers, and I sometimes know that there's a little sensationalism, not from anyone here in this room, Coleman. Um, everything is not only true, it is actually worse. And so I would just, I would just encourage you, I know you've had ad hoc committee meetings, and um, I would encourage you since this is a time when the heightened awareness is obviously gonna increase funding for the department, to not only recognize that there's a crisis that needs to be eliminated and and remedied, but there is a long-term problem of structure and policies that also needs to be addressed before you throw good money into a bad situation.
0: So that's all. Thank you. Thank you very much.
4: Joe Jensen.
0: Already has uh, put in a good word for more questions at the end. Joe, you apparently has got something on your mind this morning as well. Stand up, yes, for the camera you can see. That. Morning, gentlemen. Um, there, there's a, there's a law in the books right now that says if I'm intoxicated, I can't have my firearm in my car. As I understand it, Representative Warner is the proponent of House Bill 977, which according to what I've seen on the Senate's web, or the, the House's website, allows office police officers, while intoxicated, to carry firearms.
3: The, that, that's, not, that's not true. It, the, the caption that they got on there, they, they are confused. The antenna, get some echo or something, the antenna of that bill is going to be to let enhanced gun carry uh, permit holders to carry on college campuses. Right now, there's a lot of gray areas. Uh, if an off-duty police officer say gets off at three o'clock in the afternoon and goes to pick up his child, he's off duty and he has a gun on him. He is there's gray areas. He could be very much in violation when he enters school property. But the intent of that bill and it's already somewhere else in code, and I can't can't quote where it is in code. But the intent of that bill is not to uh, let intoxicated police officers carry firearms. And, and how that got on the I mean. I, I know how it got on there. Uh, they put it on there, but why? Why they've done that, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I was quite puzzled.
3: But no, there's a, there's an amendment too that's traveling with it to clean it up. But that is not the intent of the legislation. That's
0: good. Patty Carroll, Representative, Congressman Mike Mark Green, tell us, uh, Congressman Green is uh, he's made the news a few times here lately. What? Uh, What are his uh, main uh, objectives these days? Well,
6: you might have realized or read. I'm sure y'all did. But he is now the chair of Homeland Security. So that is a huge focus. of the border, um, we're hopefully going to see a lot of differences. He is, he said immediately he was going to hire somebody and put them at the border for they get firsthand um, what's going on and stay updated and they're going to start holding hearings at the border so some of those people that haven't made it to the border will um, be forced to go to the border so I think you'll see some changes that way Um, but still working for the people um, trying to um, he was recently here in the district and just trying to see what's important to the people and um, you know he will continue um, to Work hard for us and just but that's his focus right now obviously it's a big one and um so we're he's got a lot of bills coming up and um we'll start to see a lot of changes
0: and we have him back here this summer when he's out of session because uh he was a very interesting guest here uh, a couple of years ago and we'd like to have him so well, put we'll put a word in for us there. thank you thank you jay was here he had to go uh i'm senator uh well, Marshall Blackburn's representative was here. I had a question, but he had to leave. So we'll ask the mayor of Franklin, where's the city hall going to end up, um, oh,
5: Mayor Moore? I don't think that's a state issue. And, if Jack and But if Jack and Sam and the uh, representative want to come down and bring more money, we will accept it. Uh, I wanted to go back to the uh, Transportation and Modernization Act uh, and kind of bring it home. Uh, we recently uh, saw that a number of important projects for us, uh, Southeast Mack widening, uh, Moores Lane improvements, there's one other project that's escaping me, vanished from the list. So we started kicking and fighting and got it back on the list. But the problem is the money is not there. And so uh, at a recent a meeting of all the mayors from about 14 counties, we overwhelmingly supported the governor's Transportation Modernization Act. We don't know all the details yet, but we, I, I believe that's a good start. The other thing about the uh, public-private partnership, the uh, choice lanes, those lanes can be used for uh, transit, which would be a good start to improve what's going to happen in 40 years. We're going to be in gridlock if we, are, if we don't do something. Uh, so, thumbs up on Transportation Modernization Act. Go for it. Get it. We need it. It's a good start. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, it may sound like a broken record to you guys, but uh, I've been in support of a bill that has to do with state-shared taxes and uh, single-article cap, and I noticed that it was not in the governor's budget, and uh, this is important. To all the cities across Tennessee. Uh, the last session we had uh, uh, probably 70%, I'm guessing, of the cities that signed on and said this is important to them to get that revenue. Uh, and we're in that process now. Many cities are again passing a similar resolution to try to uh, change that formula back to what traditionally it's been. So that's my two cents, and uh, by the way, Yeah, I'll open the doors to City Hall on the weekends for you to bring money for a new City Hall. Yes, sir. And and Mayor Mayor. uh,
2: Representative Johnny Garrett uh, has a bill on the shared sales tax, and I'm
5: proud to be a co-sponsor. Thank
0: you. Gentlemen, that pretty well wraps up our time this morning. The uh, um, folks out in radio and TV land... This is a great opportunity to get to know your state representatives and state senator. And we just appreciate the time y'all take from your schedules to come out here and spend time explaining things. Uh, there's several other topics we could spend more time on. Wish we had more time to talk. But uh, if, uh, if you really want to get to know these guys, it's an opportunity uh, that you'll not get in a lot of other places. We appreciate your coming. Uh, Sam?
5: Just real quick,
2: Dave. I encourage people to make sure you check the Tennessee General Assembly website. It shows all the legislation that Dave was talking about. It has videos. It has upcoming schedules, and lists all the bills. So, see, be sure to check the Tennessee General Assembly website. It's incredible.
0: Got a lot of people I need to thank for making this uh, this show happen. It's a, it's a group effort, and we appreciate all the uh, the accommodations here at Columbia State. Again, a beautiful campus and. Uh, Dr. Janet Smith and Dr. Daryl Lampley and, and their staff uh, just make it uh, very convenient for us to be here, and we appreciate it. Uh, Creed Henderson over at WCTV, the Comcast Channel, channel 3 is uh, make, always makes us look better than we deserve, and Creed, we appreciate that. And Tom Lawrence and his crew over at WAKM uh, get us on the air there, and we appreciate that. Uh, Dennis Wagner with AT&T, you uh, helped make it possible with a little more funding for the the effort Um, chamber staff matt uh, kell nancy jenna uh, we appreciate all y'all do to behind the scenes and uh just uh the lion leadership group uh, last and certainly not least if not the most important bringing coffee and thanks to the generosity of our uh, state senator from down in the 92nd district todd warner we appreciate the, the sausage biscuits and chicken biscuits. So.
3: Everybody make sure they grab one. I think there's sack or two full back there, so everybody grab a biscuit before you leave.
0: That's great. And we plan to be back here on March 31st. Hope you all will be here and bring your friends.
3: Have a good day.